howdy y'all. Welcome to The Daily Grind. I'm your host, John Spencer. Grab a mug of your favorite brew and get ready to brew your brain with a rundown on today's date, some interesting historical facts, and sharpen your wit as I toss out just a few random musings to get those brain gears turning. Plus, I will offer up some thoughts to ponder to enrich our faith as we focus on our walk with Jesus. It's Wednesday, June 14th, and let's get this show on the road. Well, now it's that time on the Daily Grind to brew your brain. On June 14th, 1775, the Continental Army was established by the Continental Congress, marking the birth of the United States Army. On June 14, 1789, whiskey distilled from maize was first produced by American clergyman, the Reverend Elijah Craig. It was named Bourbon because Reverend Craig lived in Bourbon County, Kentucky. June 4, 1900, Hawaii became a United States Territory. On June 14, 1949, Albert II, an Indonesian rhesus macaque, that's a monkey, rode a V-2 rocket to an altitude of 83 miles, thereby becoming the first monkey in space. And on June 14, 1954, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed a bill into law that placed the words, under God into the United States Pledge of Allegiance. So June 14th is Bourbon Day, Strawberry Shortcake Day, and it's Flag Day. What did one flag say to the other flag? Nothing. It just waved. That flag started flying, and King George found the 13 colonies revolting. And now it's time on the Daily Grind to sharpen your wit. Did you know that armadillos almost always give birth to quadruplets? The term third world arose during the Cold War to define countries that remain non-aligned with either NATO or the communist bloc. Carrots were cultivated to be orange as a tribute to William of Orange, who led the Dutch to independence in the 17th century. If you're lost in the woods and you feel like you're walking in circles, you probably are. When you think about it, Superman is just as vulnerable to glitter as a normal person. You know, too often... We judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. Well, hopefully now is that time on the daily grind where we can enrich our faith. You know, Christians nowadays really stress the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus. 
But guess what? That exact phrase is never mentioned in the Bible. Not even once. So how is it that the most significant aspect of our faith was never brought up in the Bible? All right. Well, I think we're going to do a little sacred cow tipping. So the Bible never explicitly uses that phrase. And when you observe the actions of the apostles in the New Testament, they never instruct people to invite Jesus into their hearts or to develop a personal relationship with him. Instead, they proclaim Jesus as the risen Lord and Savior. That resurrection, that was a huge part of the good news. And they urge people to surrender their lives and follow him. So is the notion of having a personal relationship with Jesus contrary to what the Bible teaches? Well, no, but maybe sort of. It really depends on what we mean by the word personal. If we refer to something as private, then no, I don't think the Bible supports the idea of having a private relationship with Jesus. Our faith in Jesus is not meant to be private. It's public. It's meant to be a public expression rooted in community rather than individualism. All those letters were written to groups of people. And the understanding would be that groups of people would hear it and apply it to them as a group. And so if by personal we mean individualistic, again, I don't think the Bible advocates for an individualistic relationship with Jesus either. When we experience salvation, we become part of a faith community. We are saved from our personal and our private sins, but we are saved and brought into the community of believers. So if by personal we simply mean that a significant aspect of our salvation involves communing with our Creator through Jesus, well then, yeah. While it's not found directly in the Bible, that concept is. In fact, it permeates the entire text. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, from the Garden of Eden to New Jerusalem, the whole narrative story consistently emphasizes our creator's desire to dwell with, commune with, and relate to humanity, humanity despite our flaws and mistakes. That is really one of the main themes in scripture. So in a sense, merely having a solitary religious experience with Jesus doesn't align with biblical teachings, but in another sense, Developing a relationship with our creator is central to the, the whole story. But if we dig a little deeper, I believe there's still more to learn. Our relationship with Jesus is not meant to be a private affair. It's communal. And the focal point on our connection with Jesus lies within the church. Not just in our own private little places or on some distant mountaintop, 
it's within the local assembly and the unified global body of Christ, which he purchased with his own blood. You know, a few years ago in our men's Bible study, I really said, I, if I had time, I would try to write a redneck version of the Bible. In fact, I took one of the smaller books and started doing that because I think sometimes we misread a lot of the New Testament because we read all of the U's that are in there as singular and we apply them individually to us. When most of the U's you find in the epistles are plural. Hence, a redneck version would be pretty handy because you would read the U as y'all and you'd understand that it's really to a group. And then in answer to an unspoken prayer, I discovered not too long ago online the y'all version of the Bible. It's a pretty cool study tool. Put a link to it in the episode notes for this. It'll let you compare a couple of English versions, but you get to choose your preferred plural. And if it's Southern, it can be y'all. And if you're from up North, it can be you guys. It can be all you. Um, and then there's also a good study Greek and Hebrew Bible that's right next to it as well, too. But it allows you to really kind of read the epistles in context, in a letter that was written to a group of people. You get that sense of community. You know, when I was growing up, I'd heard, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day Jesus comes back. You know, and I took that as a personal promise. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good promise to claim for yourself. But that's really not what's written. What's written says, and I am sure, Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in y'all will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what is that good work? Well, that work is building the church, building his body. It includes all the work that his body does, missions to take the gospel to unreached people, uh, but it's to bring them into fellowship uh, and to bring them into the body of Jesus so that when the lost world looks at us collectively, it sees Jesus because we're his body. You know, I, I can't help even notice in how much of our worship songs today, they're just chock full of I and me and not as full of us and our Um we would do good, I think, to focus a little bit on the fact that we are a body, a corporate group. Just consider some of the words that Paul wrote to the Christians living in Ephesus. You know, in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I mean, do you get that? The fullness of God is not in your individual, you know, heart, and it's not on some mountaintop away from civilization. It's in the church, that messy gathering of broken, high-maintenance people that we gather with every Sunday. Paul goes on to call this church the temple of the Lord. 
Ephesians 2.22 says, In him y'all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And again, Paul prays in Ephesians 3.19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that y'all may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, he already said that fullness resides in the local body in 123. And this is why God gave us spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, 11 and 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints, all of us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Fullness of Christ. And again, not just in you, not just in me, but it's in us. The New Testament just oozes community. Our faith, our personal relationship with Jesus is just implausible apart from the local community of believers. I think that's why Paul often refers to the church body, not our individual bodies, as the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17, he says, Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and y'all are that temple. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You know, we're the temple of the living God. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18, he says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome y'all, and I will be a father to y'all, and y'all shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So the church is where God's presence is revealed and dwells here on this earth, because we are his temple. Uh, yes, you as an individual, me as an individual, have the Holy Spirit in us. That makes me the temple of the living God. But his plan is to take all of us and unify us and bring us together in a way that when the world looks at us, it sees Jesus. I think individual Christians are never going to experience that full and abundant life that Jesus promises to give us apart from being united in fellowship with each other. In fact, Jesus said the world would know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. So I would just encourage you this morning, have a great Wednesday, but let the Holy Spirit Prick your conscience a little bit and go, is my Christian faith 
more communal and more corporate? Or is it more private and more individualistic? Maybe there's a sacred cow in there that you need to tip over. Dear Lord, the church is one because it's one body and it's under one head. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And sir, your church is holy because the Holy Spirit dwells in it. So consecrate all of us that are members of it and guide us to do your work today. Amen.